I know that uh, you live very distracted lives and uh, have a lot on your mind, so I need to keep reminding you over and over again just what this Lent is all about. And it's not meant to be a trying time when you give up stuff, just give up stuff that you like. Lent is supposed to be a time of prayer and fasting and almsgiving to prepare ourselves to renew our baptism. That's the word for today, that word of baptism. When you and I will renew all of that, most especially at the Easter vigil, renew our baptism this Easter. And like Jesus at his baptism, you, you and I come to know, come, come to realize that the core of our existence, the very uh, uh, center of our identity of who we really are, is that you and I are loved by the Father. We are all of us his children. And he is well pleased with you as you sit here right now at this moment. Our baptism is all about all of that. And so we continue this journey of Lent. We go to the journey of Lent to discipleship in the light of the cross and ultimately to the resurrection. And we should experience this resurrection life right now. This is something we're supposed to experience when we die. We're supposed to actually experience this resurrection life at this very moment as you sit here right now. And as you sit here, can you say to yourself, yes. I mean, definitively, say, I, yes, I, I know this resurrection life in my life, in my world right here and right now as I sit here. And so, for the next three weeks, the church, the scriptures are going to articulate to communicate, and to express to all of us uh, the deeper meaning of our baptism. The most important event in your life was your baptism. And sadly, sadly, millions of Christians, millions of Catholics, walk around the face of the earth with their baptism lying dormant deep inside of their souls having absolutely no impact on their lives whatsoever. And, and so what I'm going to say to you today would be meaningless to them. A lot of meaningless hyperbole to them because it simply has no impact on their lives. But having said all that, let's launch into the gospel here today for just a moment and see what, what it has to offer us about this most important event of our lives, our baptism, and first of all, it begins at a well, Jacob's well. This was their only access to water in their lives, was that well. So that well was critical to them, essential to their existence. Baptism, critical to us, essential for our existence. Then as you heard, the event that you hear today happens high noon the brightest and hottest time of the day, which is a sign that what is about to happen is high revelation. Something awesome is supposed to happen right now in this story, like last week, the story of the, uh, of the, of the uh, transfiguration. And then let me fast forward for a moment to when uh, Jesus offers her water to drink. And he, did you notice? He calls it living water. He calls it spring water. He calls it fresh, bubbling water. 
It's meant to contrast the stale and stagnant water from a well, contrasting a life lived in baptism as opposed to the stale and stagnant life of no hope, of no, of no faith, when baptism simply lies dormant in the very recesses of someone's soul. And it's a very beautiful book um, called uh, uh, Mystical Portrait of Jesus, uh, Father Demetrius, a book that has great impact on me and my understanding of this gospel here today. Father Demetrius Dumb uh, tells a story about himself to try to make sense of this, this living water, this, this, uh, this fresh water. And Father Demetrius, I don't know if you know, he grew up in northern Cambria County. He uh, grew up somewhere near Nicktown, I believe, correct? And, and uh, so when he was a child, he fell ill with pneumonia. And back in the day, whenever he was a kid, there was no antibiotics. And so pneumonia was a pretty desperate situation. And his dad was really worried about his son and felt very helpless. So one day, Demetrius asks his dad to go and get a drink from the spring that's at the far end of their farm. And whenever they would make hay in the fall, they would drink from that spring. And so his dad goes, he gets some water from the spring, and he takes it back to his son. And Demetrius says, it was the most refreshing water I've ever drank in my entire life. Not just because it came from the spring. It was refreshing because it came from my dad. And he said, that's what baptism water is like. This refreshing water that comes from our Father, God the Father, who is so concerned, cares for us, and worries about us so very, very much. And then Father Demetrius goes on, and he, and he says that, could you catch how the woman is gradually beginning to get what's kind of going on here. And he goes on to say, did you notice that she sees Jesus first as a Jew, then maybe greater than Jacob, then a prophet, then the Messiah. Finally, she says, he's the savior of the world. Then he goes on to say, this movement toward an ever more personal relationship with Jesus. Did you catch that? A movement toward a more personal relationship with Jesus is the dominant feature of the Gospel of John where there is a constant warning about a superficial and merely external showing of, a, a show of Christian faith. And so this woman is struck. This is the defining moment of her life. This is her conversion. This is her transformation moment. And she leaves her water jar. Now, folks, in that world, what you never, ever do is leave your water jar. There was no utensil in their homes in those days more important than a water jar. You just don't do such a thing. She must have been so struck by this encounter with Jesus that Jesse leaves her water jar. So she leaves her water jar, and she goes back to the town to tell them, she says, like, can, can I share with you a guy who told me everything I've ever done? And so in a world that, is, that lives in the fear of vulnerability, a fear of strangers, and especially for a woman like her, a fear of a strange man and a Jew, 
Jesus somehow breaks through. He breaks through all her defenses, and somehow she is struck, and she's transformed. She becomes the first, this outcast Samaritan woman becomes the first evangelist to the non-Jewish world. And she goes out because she is so struck, she tells everybody. And folks, that's what you do. When something like this happens in your life, you tell everybody. You don't keep it to yourself. Maybe some of you who did the Alpha course said somewhere along the way, you got to do this thing. This has changed my life. You got to do this thing. Or maybe something, somebody did something with Crescio. You got to do this. It's kind of changed my life. And so no longer is all of this that we do here merely some superficial external punching the ticket and getting it done. All of a sudden, God has made such a difference in our life that we are profoundly, terribly changed. And uh, Blaise Pascal, the great mathematical genius one time said, there are two kinds of reasonable people in the world. Number one, those who have found God and with their whole hearts love God because they found him. Number two, those who search for God with their hearts because they haven't found him yet. Two kinds of reasonable people in the world. Now, this Eucharistic revival that we've been talking about, uh, um, why did the bishops want us to do talk about this thing? And one of the reasons for that was because for many, many of those people that their baptisms lie dormant in the very recesses of their soul have just walked away from the church for all kinds of different reasons. Maybe it was a scandal. Maybe it was COVID. Uh, maybe it was um, 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 other boring Christians somewhere along the way that they kind of ran up against. Maybe it was just the secular world just kind of swept them away, but they're gone. And they're not out, they're not here anymore. And statistics would say that in the United States, there's about, what, 75 million Catholics in the U.S. today and about 19 million Maybe that's optimistic. About 19 million, about 25% are actually practicing their faith Sunday after Sunday. And so um, um, let's, let's bring that down to Johnstown here. Uh, by the way, that means 75% don't practice of, of Catholics. So to bring it down to Johnstown here, that means 75% of the Catholics in Johnstown don't go to church anymore. At all. So may I ask you, if Jesus has made any kind of a difference in your life, would you be willing to go out there and ask one of those, 75% who don't go to church anymore, maybe to join you? Come to faith formation, come to stations, um, come to mass, maybe, come to your small group, something like that. Would you be willing to ask them to do that? If somehow you have been struck, like this woman in the gospel today, in such a fashion that she leaves her water jar, would you be willing to tell anybody about this new life that you've experienced? If you've experienced it. If you haven't experienced it, you've got nothing to share. But if you have, would you be willing to share that with just one other person? Don't, uh, be, don't be weird. Um, don't be overwhelming. 
just share your story with them. And if they give you a litany of reasons why they don't go to church, and I'm sure they will give you a litany about all that, simply say something like, come and see. Just come and see. Come and see the person who has broken into my life and has changed absolutely everything. 